This is an ABC radio podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the second series of Tall Tales and True. I'm Sarah McDonald and it's my absolute pleasure to be bringing you these stories from storytellers from right around Australia. In this episode, we are bringing you two for one, two very special stories. It's a bit of a deal, but a bit of a warning. It may make you laugh and cry, especially if you're a little bit emotional like me. But being in touch with your emotions is a good thing, I reckon. First up, we are heading to the birthing suite, not literally, thank God. Here is Dr Isaac Lim with his story about the power of new life coming into the world. It was my first delivery shift as a medical student on a, med- on a maternity ward. And uh, by this time in my life, I uh, knew that I had become enamoured of babies uh, and that the one role that I want more than any other is to be a dad. And of course, I've never seen childbirth actually happen. Um, I have watched the video of the woman giving birth uh, and I have practised delivering babies on plastic models. Uh, But of course, for all the theoretical instruction in the world, nothing can really prepare you for actually being there and doing it and seeing it and smelling it. (laughs) So on this night, I met a young couple from Kelmscott Uh, And they were a little bit younger than I was, um, maybe 20 and 21 years old. uh, And we were from quite different backgrounds. Uh, Having said that, we got along really, really well. And by the end of the night, uh, we had come to know each other pretty intimately. Uh, I had had, uh, palpated her abdomen. Uh, to make sure that the baby was in the right spot. Uh, We all held hands together during excruciating contractions. And it was my job uh, to monitor the dilatation of the all-important cervix. And after a seven-hour labour, I had become a participant in the most significant event in their lives so far, maybe ever. His name was Lawson, like Henry Lawson, the Australian poet. And I've always had a thing for first names that can also be surnames, like Lawson or uh, Beckett, uh, Lincoln, Byron. Wilmot is a new one that I I heard today. They're all all good examples. And um, Lawson was uh, delivered into the world at um, about nine o'clock. And it all happened very quickly, actually. The midwife decided that it was time, and that was it. I gloved up, I put on the apron and tied it round my waist. Uh, I felt like a bit of a dickhead wearing the plastic face shield, but after watching the video, there was no way I was going in without it. (laughs) Three or four pushes. It's all it took. Um, And out popped the head like a turtle. And then another push and a twist of the shoulders, and there he was, head, shoulders, knees and toes, all in my gloved hands. The midwife clamped the cord, and I cut it. I cut that kid's umbilical cord like a new dad does in the movies. And I then had to take him to the cot, 
Um, and I remember thinking at the time, oh, for the love of God, do not drop this child <laughs> because, because they're quite slippery when they first come out. You see. But we, we, made, we made it there safely and, uh, and I uh, toweled him down, cleaned him up and stimulated his breathing and he started to cry and it was really beautiful. I wanted to learn how to swaddle a baby and I think the midwife uh, was surprised, uh, but I think she really appreciated the request. I don't think many medical students ask how to do that, but I actually think it's really quite um, profound because if you think about it, after that, um, that person is gonna be wearing clothes for the rest of their life uh, and they will never not have worn clothes before again. <laughs> And I dressed, I dressed little Lawson in a tiny disposable nappy and a miniature white t-shirt. And I was a bit worried about the elastic in the neck of the t-shirt. I didn't want to squish his head as I brought it down over his head. And I didn't want to dislocate his shoulders as I guided his arms through the sleeve. So I was very slow and I was very gentle. But I did wrap him up very tightly in a, in, in a little package um, with a blanket that was still warm from being in the linen heater. And I could see the calming effect that this was having on Lawson. I remember looking into his face and wondering to myself, what is gonna become of you? Who are you going to be in 20 years' time? Am I going to be teaching you medicine? Uh, you're going to be stealing my car? Uh, or, or maybe you'll be a dad yourself. And I was struck by a pang of emotion and I was feeling a lot of things at that time. I was relieved that the delivery had gone smoothly. Uh, I was elated by the joy of new life and I was scared. Uh, that as a gay man, this may be the closest I ever got to holding a newborn son. About an hour later, we took the new family up to the ward and the time came to say goodbye to Lawson and give him over to his exhausted um, but ecstatic parents. And I could feel a lump rise in my throat and uh, my, my eyes flooded with tears. I was sad. Um, delivering this baby was the best thing that I had ever done, but now that moment was over. His life was about to start and I wasn't going to be involved in it after that point um, because he wasn't my baby. I passed him carefully into his mother's arms and said my goodbyes. I'd been part of a miracle. Thank you. That story kind of chokes me up a bit because my dad was an obstetrician who delivered babies and when I was a teenager I said, why do you do such a disgusting job? 
And he told me that it is an absolute honour and joy to be there when someone has a baby because it's a miracle every time and it's the greatest moment in someone's life. So I love that story by Dr Isaac Lim. That story was first told at Barefaced in Perth and, and Barefaced has regular storytelling events in Perth. You can head to their website for more details, barefaced.com.au. The next story from comedian Alice Fraser is an honest, heart-wrenching and beautiful account of facing up to losing her beloved mother. She tells how one comment from a kind and well-meaning acquaintance highlighted the monumental injustice of it all. Here's Alice and there is a language warning on this episode. So I was walking to the hospital the other day and I bumped into a guy that I used to run with. Uh, I say I used to run with him, we weren't in a cool gang selling drugs on the stoop to afford drag racing on the weekends. Uh, I used to be in an athletics squad and he was in my squad. He wasn't my favourite member of the squad, he was a very clean cut American guy. And you know the kind that speaks about women with that really exaggerated respect that implies a severe Madonna whore complex? <laughs> you know, the kind of thing that's going to lead to sexless marriage and an angry self-loathing porn habit. <laughs> but very nice to talk to. Uh, so he wasn't my favourite member of the squad. My favourite member of the squad was a guy called Mark Abercrombie. Oh, I didn't do running because I was good at it, by the way. I did it because I just showed up to training to pick up my cousin and this guy, Mark Abercrombie, was there, so I just kept coming to training uh, six days a week. I, I ran three marathons. I had the kind of kind of crush where you can't look at their face you know and and one day he just he just asked me out and I said no out of surprise because I hadn't seen it coming I wasn't reading any facial cues obviously so he was my favorite member of the squad this other guy wasn't this American wasn't my favorite member of the squad but but he asked me where I was going and because we'd run together um, I told him where I was going I said I'm going to the hospital my mom is very sick and he said, oh yeah, I'd heard that. Which is something that happens with social media, I guess. You kind of know what is happening with people's lives. And I was kind of, I was confused because he'd asked me, but he already knew the answer. And then he kept asking me all these questions, but he already knew the answer to them. It was this weird dance. And I couldn't figure out why he was doing it until he asked me exactly what was wrong. And I told him exactly what was wrong. And he put his hand on my face and said, well, I believe God heals. <laughs> is new. <laughs> normally what people say when you say sad things is they say, oh, oh uh, I'm, let, I'm so sorry, let me know if there's anything I can do to help, which is nice even if they don't mean it, but I believe God heals. With the, with the conviction not just that he believed what he was saying, but that he believed it was the right thing to say. <laughs> this guy. Let's call him Dick. <laughs> because that's his name. Not what people call him or what's in his birth certificate, but his soul name. <laughs> and Dick put his hand on my face and said, I believe God heals and I didn't know what to do. I didn't, I didn't do what I wanted to do, which was push him down the stairs and say, how's God on broken legs? <laughs> I didn't say that because he clearly meant well. I just, I just looked at him and then I, I walked away because I, I didn't... <laughs> Because I don't know what I believe, right? I don't know what I believe. You believe God heals. I don't know what I believe. But just because you know what you believe and I don't know what I believe doesn't make you right and me wrong. And I didn't say any of that. I just stared at him and then I walked away like Jason Statham from a burning building in an action movie. <laughs> except that he wasn't on fire. 
<laughs> Except in my head he was on fire. <laughs> and this is the thing that I think, I, I don't know what I believe. I believe, I believe it's important to say things, true things, even if they're sad or if they're funny or whatever. And I, I, was, I was angry with Dick because I couldn't say this one thing that I wanted to say and I kept saying this other stuff that I didn't want to say and I, I went to the hospital and it was just ticking over in my head and I, I wanted to say true things that are just true because they're true. Like I didn't just say no to Mark Abercrombie out of surprise. I said no because he was perfect, right? And, and once someone asks you out, it's, it's just whatever it is, right? But if you say no, it could have been anything because only the unfinished can contain the infinite. And I was thinking about that and I went to the hospital and I was thinking about it on the way to the hospital. I was thinking about my mum, because my mum had MS. She was diagnosed with MS when, when she was 27, which is younger than I am now. And, and she was brilliant. She could, she could speak Gaelic and, and Chinese, and she taught herself Russian so she could read Tolstoy, and she played any instrument that she could put her hands on. And then she got MS, and she lost everything. A feeling in her hands and her temper and her balance and bits of her memory and all of the languages that she knew and, and, and then she had MS, just losing piece by piece, piece all of the things that she thought made her special for 33 years. And then last year, during the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, about two weeks in, she was diagnosed with cancer. And then Dick put his hand on my face and said, I believe God heals. And I did not push him down the stairs. I walked away and I went home and I wrote, um, I wrote this thing and can I read it out? I know I'm not meant to use notes, but I want to read it out because this is what I wrote. <clears throat> I wrote, the thing that you notice when somebody is dying is you say you love them a lot, like compulsively. I don't know why, it's not like I'm trying to convince her or myself or anyone. I know she knows I love her, of course she knows, but I keep saying it again and again. I love you, I love you, I love you, I'm so proud of you. And I realised it's not because I'm trying to convince her or myself or anyone, it's because I know that at some point I'll stop being able to say it and have her hear it and I'm trying to fit in a lifetime's worth and it will never be enough. Once things are over, they are over. And I wrote that. And 14 days later, my mom died. And I don't have an end to this story. I wish I could have given you more than that, like a proper ending. But I'm not going to, um, because only the unfinished can contain the infinite. So. That's Alice Fraser, and that story was originally broadcast as part of the Moth Radio Hour on RN. The Moth's produced by Atlantic Public Media and it's distributed by PRX. Check out The Moth at themoth.org. It's like the worldwide headquarters for live storytelling. Next episode on Tall Tales and True, a story unlike anything you've ever heard before. 
The fact that I'd survived the experience meant that I was meant to be here. If you want to tell us what you think of our podcast, write us a review in iTunes or check out the ABC podcast page on Facebook where you'll find info not just on ABC podcasts but on all podcasts and you can comment there too on Tall Tales and True and engage with other podcast lovers. And don't forget, you'll find us on the ABC radio app, iTunes and your favourite podcast app. Until next time, I'm Sarah McDonald. Sarah McDonald.